church family, I invite you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. We're going to focus on verse 8 today, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. This is our text for the Christmas season. We're just kind of diving deep into this text this Christmas season. And uh, so I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, um, and, uh, and then we'll focus on verse 8. The title of our message today is Humble Crucifixion from Life to Death. Humble Crucifixion from Life to Death. So I'm going to start chapter 2, verse 1 of Philippians. This is the word of God. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Have you ever seen a child follow an older child around and copy him, imitate her? You ever seen that? Normally it results in the older child saying, Mommy, tell him to stop copying me. Daddy, tell her to stop copying me. That's normally what happens. Well, why does that why 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 does that younger one imitate the older one sometimes let's just be honest sometimes it's because the younger one just wants to irritate the older one that's the only reason they're doing it is because they know it's going to get on older brother or older sister's nerves right but often it's because the younger one looks up to the older one the older one wants to be like the older one because he likes what he sees in the older one the younger one observes the older one thinks he's cool or he's hip or whatever the modern word is i'm supposed to say there Uh, i want to be like i want to be like him it's often because the younger one is in a sense mesmerized by the older one and therefore wants to imitate him or her we've all been there in some way shape or form in our lives church this christmas season my hope and prayer is that we would be mesmerized by none other than the lord jesus christ and as we are mesmerized by him specifically his humility my hope and prayer is that that would lead us to to celebrate who christ is and to make sure we celebrate the way that will bring honor and glory to jesus and that is by imitating the humility that he has shown towards us. Our main idea for these weeks as we study this passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians is this. This is kind of our, our, our main idea for the Christmas season. We should celebrate the coming of Jesus by imitating the humility that he displayed through his incarnation, his crucifixion, and his exaltation. Last week we looked at incarnation, today we're looking at crucifixion, and Lord willing, next week we will look at exaltation. I think you would agree with me that 
At Christmas time, we ought to celebrate Jesus. And not just at Christmas, but you would agree that we're to celebrate him all year long. We ought to be a people as Christians who are excited about Jesus. I mean, we ought to celebrate him. I think that's a great word to think about Jesus and how we ought to respond to him as followers of Christ. We ought to celebrate him. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, we find one of the great Christ passages in the Bible. In fact, many scholars believe that Paul is either quoting from or at least relying heavily upon an early Christian hymn in this passage, as well as in some of the other key Christ passages in the New Testament. These these Christ songs, these, these Christ passages would have been songs sung, uh, sung to praise Jesus there in the early church. They would have been sung to exalt the name of Christ. As one writer said, I like how he says this, he said, quote, the hymns represent Christological explosions of worship and adoration in the early church. I, I love that. A, a, a Christological, that means it's talking about Christ, Jesus. An explosion of worship. And just a simple reading of, of verses 6 through 11 in Philippians chapter 2 helps us see that this ought to be a Christological explosion of worship. As Paul describes the humility that Jesus displayed through his incarnation, through his crucifixion, and through his exaltation. But if we look at the context here, which is very important always, we should quickly realize that Paul doesn't just want the Christians to stand up and sing a song about Jesus. They should. They're probably doing that. He wants them to do that more. He's probably even quoting from one of their songs, one of their Christ hymns. But he doesn't just want them to stand and sing a song in celebration. The way that we are to celebrate Jesus is by imitating the humility of Jesus in our everyday life. That's how we can celebrate Jesus in a way that will bring him glory and honor and praise. And so this passage ought to lead us to celebrate Jesus by imitating Jesus. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 27, for just a moment, get some more context here. We see that Paul calls the believers to unity by saying, Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, together, for the sake of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, he calls them to unity by saying, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. That means completely unified and of one mind. Paul's calling them to unity for the sake of the gospel, for the mission of God, but he knows that one of the greatest roadblocks to unity among a group of people is a lack of humility in the hearts of the people. It's a very true, true thing that we need to wrap our minds around because we want to be unified. We talk about being unified, but one of the greatest roadblocks to being unified, even in a church, would be a lack of humility in the hearts of the people who are supposed to be unified, working together for the cause of Christ. And so Paul calls the believers to humility. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That is what humility is. And then Paul gives them this greatest example of humility in the history of the world, and that's Jesus. And he tells them to imitate that kind of humility. Now, last week we focused in on verses 6 and 7, the incarnation of Jesus. That great act where the Son of God, this great act of humility where the Son of God clothed himself in humanity. The incarnation of Christ. And we said that we need to be humble like Jesus, who left heaven to dwell on earth as a man. But today I want to focus on verse 8, which I think should lead us to be humble again. Be humble like Jesus, who submitted to his Father's will in life and in death. We ought to be humble like Jesus, who submitted to his Father's will in life and in 
death. Yes, Jesus came to earth. Yes, we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas. But, but folks, that baby, you know, didn't stay a baby in a manger. He grew up and eventually he died. He lived a life here on this earth and he died a death here on this earth. Now, we know that's not all of the story. There's a resurrection and exaltation that happened. We're going to focus more on that next week. But in his life and in his death, he displayed incredible humility. I want to do the same thing we did last week and structure our thoughts around four truths, which I think arise from this text. The first two are going to be truths about explanation, kind of just seeing what's here and explaining what's here. The third truth is going to be celebration. What are we celebrating when it comes to the crucifixion of Christ? And then the fourth truth is going to be imitation. Now, what's that look like as we try to imitate the humility of Jesus in everyday life? Paul describes Jesus' humble incarnation in verses 6 through 7. Let's just, again, remind ourselves, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then we get into verse 8, the crucifixion. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church family, first truth I want to share with you is this. Jesus showed that humility means life on God's terms. Jesus showed that humility means life on God's terms. Two key words here in verse 8 are humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. And friends, you don't have one without the other. Those words go together. Humility and obedience. Now, Paul really skips over the life of Jesus here in this passage. He goes quickly to the death of Jesus. But the point of uh, the life of Jesus is implied by him saying he became obedient to the point of death. That means that there was a life of obedience leading up to that point of death. He humbled himself by becoming obedient all the way up until the point of death. There was a life of obedience that preceded that obedient death. For instance, if I ran, ran, to the point of collapsing, I don't do a whole lot of running these days except running after my children. But if I were to run to the point of collapsing, it doesn't mean that I ran one step and collapsed. That means that I ran and I ran and I ran until the point where I collapsed. Now we're going to talk about the death of Jesus in just a minute. But prior to the obedient death of Jesus was a full life of obedience. You see, Jesus obeyed and obeyed and obeyed all the way up until he obeyed to the point of death. His entire life was an act of submission to the Father's will. That's hard. That's hard for us, right? That's submission. But his entire life was an act of submission to his Father's will. When he lived in almost complete obscurity for 30 years, the Son of God, just living in Podunk town of Nazareth, being a carpenter, that was an act of humility. He was humbly obeying his Father's timing. When he walked down into the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin John, he was humbly submitting himself to his father's will to be identified with sinners, even though he himself was not a sinner. When he went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, he went because he was humbly, Scripture tells us, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. When he got into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan, how did he respond? Well, he resisted by humbly relying upon the word of God. When his father's will was for him to touch those with leprosy, 
he humbly obeyed. When his father's will was for him to eat with sinners and be looked down upon by the religious elites, he humbly obeyed. When his father's will was, was for him to turn to those religious elites, those Pharisees, and rebuke them, even though they would try to kill him for it, he humbly obeyed. When his father's will was for him to choose 12 men that would seem to be his best friends, but one of whom would betray him and the other 11 would run away and desert him, at least for a time being, he humbly obeyed. See, Jesus lived in humble obedience. He lived his life on his father's terms. He didn't assert his own way, but he submitted his life to the father's way. And that's, that's what obedience is. That's what obedience is. And that's what makes obedience so hard. <laughs> It is. It's, it's hard to listen to someone else and do what that person says. We don't like that. Our prideful hearts fight against that way of living. I mean, our, our prideful hearts kick and scream not to submit ourselves to another, even to God. We want to be the one we answer to. We want to be our own boss. We want to call the shots for our lives. We want to live life on our terms. But Jesus showed us a better way of living, church. He showed us a better way of living, and that way is the way of humility, humbly living life on God's terms rather than our own. And church, this was his choice. The text says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. He chose to humble himself for the glory of his Father and for the salvation of our souls. But he ran and he ran and he ran. He obeyed and obeyed and obeyed. And that obedience, that humility knew no limits. And so not only did Jesus show that humility means life on God's terms, you can probably figure out our second truth for today. Jesus showed that humility means death on God's terms. Jesus showed that humility means not only life on God's terms, but death on God's terms. Paul's been driving us in this passage to the cross. I mean, he is making a beeline to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's been singing this hymn of praise, if you will. And he's been getting us to that cross. Jesus humbled himself by leaving heaven. He humbled himself by becoming a man. He humbled himself by, this passage says, being a, a, a servant of sinful humanity. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. All of that service, all of that humility was drawing him day by day, moment by moment to the greatest act of humility that the world would ever know and will ever know. The willing death of the Son of God on a Roman cross built for a criminal. The willing death. We know this story, but don't just breeze by it. The willing death of the Son of God on a Roman cross built for a criminal. Paul says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, Jesus practiced humble obedience even though it cost him his life. He humbled himself before his Father's will and willingly walked through death's door. It wasn't a dignified death if there is such a thing. Notice how Paul emphasizes the type of death that Jesus died. He said he humbled himself to the point of death. It's almost like he just takes a breath and stands back and says, 
Even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. Crucifixion was the most humiliating form of death. You're stripped of your clothes, nailed to cross beams of wood, and then lifted up into the air so that everyone who wanted to, whole town, could walk by and look at you, bloody, naked, and gasping for your last breath. That's what crucifixion is. That's what it was about. It's humiliating for anyone, but especially for the Jews. You see, it wasn't just physically or emotionally humiliating for the Jews, but it was also culturally and theologically humiliating for the Jews. From that Jewish worldview, why is that? Well, it's because in the law given to the Jews, to the people of Israel through Moses, it specifically stated that anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed. And not just cursed by humans, but specifically cursed by God. I want to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 and 23 for just a moment. This is the law of God to the people of Israel. This is the culture in which this crucifixion was taking place. Here was Jesus, a Jew, crucified with, with, with his Jewish family and friends and and what used to be his friends at this point, his enemies all around him. This is what the law said. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him on the same day for a hangman is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Don't tell me that God the Father was not thinking about his son who's going to hang on a cross when he told Moses to write down those words in that law. It's exactly what was on the mind of God. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. The cross meant cursed. And that's where Jesus was hung, on a cursed cross. But the thing that made this so significant was that the cursed man hanging on the cursed tree wasn't a criminal. He wasn't supposed to be there. Not because he had done something to deserve it. He had not committed a crime punishable by death. In fact, he had never done anything wrong. He was completely perfect, completely sinless, and yet there he is. The perfect Son of God, the Son of Man, hanging, cursed and humiliated upon that tree. What's going on? Well, Paul says, here's what's going on. Humility. Extreme humility. Saving, redeeming humility. That's what's going on. Jesus was hanging there because of sin. But it was your sin and it was my sin, not his sin. It had him hanging on the tree. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Later in that same letter to the Corinthians, he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. That is extreme humility. Paul wrote to the Romans, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Extreme humility. Jesus didn't hold on to his life, which was rightfully his, but he humbly gave up his life. Church, Jesus obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. You ask, who was Jesus obeying? It says that he was obedient to the point of death. Who was he obeying? Well, it wasn't the Jewish crowd. It wasn't the Jewish leaders. 
They ultimately weren't in control in that situation. He wasn't obeying the Roman soldiers. He wasn't obeying Pilate or Herod or Caiaphas. Who was Jesus obeying? He was humbly serving sinners by humbly obeying his heavenly Father. I want you to hear the humility of Jesus being prophesied in the words of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied this, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Death on God's terms. Later in that same chapter, Isaiah says this. He says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. The will of Yahweh, God, to crush him. That's death on God's terms. Friend, it was Jesus hanging on the cross that saved us, and he was there because he was humbly submitting to his Father's will all the way to the point of death. He didn't deserve it. He chose it. Jesus told his disciples, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. And what choice did Jesus make? He used his authority to lay down his life for us. He chose death because it was the Father's will for him to choose death. He chose death because it was the only way that his Father's plan to save sinners from their sin could be fulfilled. He chose death because he loves you and he loves me. And it was the Father's will to crush him in order to save you and to save me. Extreme humility. Not only life on God's terms, but death on God's terms. Friends, that is humility without limits. I want you to hold on to that thought for a moment, because we're going we're gonna to hit that again at the end. Humility without limits. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, it means that we have believed in Jesus for salvation. We've got reason to celebrate, and we have reason to imitate. We have an example to follow. We have something to celebrate. Truth number three is our reason to celebrate. Jesus looked after our interests by becoming what we needed. What was that? Substitute sacrifice. Jesus looked after our interests. I'm getting that from the context here. Remember Paul's definition of humility back in chapter 4? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus looked after our interests by becoming what we needed. A substitute sacrifice. Last week, we looked at the incarnation of Jesus. We said that Jesus looked after our interests by becoming what we needed, a perfect human. Today, we look at the crucifixion. We see another part of the salvation equation that Jesus looked after our interests by becoming what we needed. We not only needed a perfect human, but we needed that perfect human to take our place in death, to be a substitute sacrifice. We needed someone to live a perfect life we couldn't live, but we also needed that someone to die the death that we deserve to die. And that someone is Jesus. When Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, he was meeting our greatest need, your greatest need and my greatest need. Listen, if we're going to be rescued from our sin and reconciled back into a right relationship with God, then we need God's wrath to be poured out on a substitute, someone in our place. God's wrath must be satisfied. There's no way around that. We deserve his wrath. There is no denying that. And so Jesus, the perfect man, died on the cross in our place. And church, we ought to celebrate that. We ought to celebrate it. Now, in one sense, it's a somber celebration. Because when we look at the cross, we see the ugliness of our sin. We see our rebellion against God. 
But it's also a joyful celebration. Because when we see, our, when we see the cross, when we look at Christ there, we see our redemption, our justification, our forgiveness, our eternal salvation. Again, I want to go back to the words of the prophet Isaiah to see what Jesus was accomplishing through his death. To see how Jesus was our substitute sacrifice. Some people, some people today, even that would stand up and open God's word and talk about God's word, would deny that Jesus was dying in our place. They would say Jesus was merely dying to set an example so that he could say, well, this is how you're supposed to love others. They haven't read the Bible. They definitely haven't read Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to listen to the pronouns here, the, the he for us kind of language. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then a few verses later, later in Isaiah 53, he says, He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. That's substitutionary atonement. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Friends, Jesus died and he died in our place. It ought to be us on the cross. He died so that all who would receive his work of salvation by faith in him would receive forgiveness of their sin. Everlasting life. I ask you a question. Have you believed in Jesus? Are you believing in Jesus for salvation today? I don't mean you agree with certain facts about Jesus. You believe some parts of the Christmas story are true. I don't mean that. Yes, I hope that you believe those things are true, that they are events in history. What I mean is, have you cast yourself upon Jesus in complete dependence, trusting that he alone can rescue you from your sin? Have you believed in that? If you haven't, you need to, you must, you should. <clears throat> Consider what Jesus has done for you. Consider the humility that he looked after your interests instead of his own. We needed a substitute. He knew he could be that substitute, but he knew that it would cost him his life. And so what did he do? Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you and for me. And so we must receive what he has done. And then when we have received it, we ought to live our lives in celebration of it. It ought to be evident in the way that we live our lives that we are joyfully celebrating what Christ has done for us, the humility of Jesus. Church, we ought to rejoice and be glad. We ought to be the, 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 the most joyful people in all the world. For we who once were lost are now found. We who once were blind now see. We who once were enemies of God have now been reconciled to God, adopted as children of God. <clears throat> we who once were slaves have now been set free from that slavery to sin. We who once were separated strangers have now been brought near. By the blood of Christ. We ought to celebrate. And our celebration, church, must look like imitation. Our celebration must look like imitation. Truth number four. So we want to celebrate, but we also want to imitate. In fact, I think that's the greatest way that we can celebrate, is by imitating 
And so, church family, let's be willing to be challenged for a moment. We should put no limits on the extent to which we will humbly serve one another. We should put no limits on the extent to which we will humbly serve one another. Let that truth sink in for just a moment. Learning from his incarnation, we said that we ought to lay aside our comforts to serve one another. That's certainly what Jesus did when he left heaven and came to earth. But learning from his crucifixion, we see that we should put no limits on the extent to which we should humbly serve one another. Jesus didn't humbly serve others to the point of death up until that point and then say, all right, I've done enough. I think I've served enough. I think I've done my fair share of serving. I think I've served more than anyone else. Now, that might be what we say in our pride, but that's not what Jesus said in his humility. Jesus humbly served us, and he humbly served us, and he humbly served us all the way to the point of death. And even when humbly serving meant dying on a cross, he chose to humbly lay down his life. As God's word says in the book of Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't walk away from it. He didn't shy away from it. He endured it. Limitless humility. And for believers in Philippi and for every believer in Jesus, God's word says, imitate that kind of humility. Imitate the kind of humility Jesus had. A humility without limits. I might get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Recently, one of, um, well, all of my children were over at my parents' house. My dad told me that um, one of my children um, had gone to the restroom and, um, and sounded as she was in the restroom like she needed some help. Uh, whatever that sounded like, she needed some help. And so uh, one of my other children, very kind, um, said, I'll go help her. And uh, so she walked into the restroom um, and, uh, and closed the door. And my dad said a few seconds later, she walked back out of the restroom and she announced, that's a job for granny. <laughs> she was willing to help. But her willingness had its limits, as I'm sure mine would have as well. If I'm honest, I've probably said that's a job for mommy many times when it comes to our children. Friends, we all have our limits when it comes to many things in life, and sometimes that's a good thing. But when it comes to humility, we must imitate the humility of our master who displayed humility without limits. Without limits. Friends, the call of salvation, church, the call of salvation is a call to lay down our lives, to surrender our lives. The call of the Christian life is to die to ourselves so that we might live to Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's a call to go to our death in service for King Jesus. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And years later, one of Jesus' disciples, John, wrote this. He said, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
Church, when we see Jesus humbly dying on a cross, we not only see the means of our salvation, but we see the life of salvation that we are supposed to live. Jesus saved us so that we would be like him, which means living daily with no limits on the extent to which we will humble ourselves in service for one another. Paul's not just telling the Philippians this. He was modeling this in his own life. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. There we learn that Paul was suffering because of the rivalry of others, the conceit, the arrogance of others. He was suffering, and yet he rejoiced instead of retaliating. That's humility. If you were to read verses 20 through 26 of chapter 1, you would see that Paul's wrestling with his, with his desire to be finished with the sufferings of this life and just go be with Jesus. We probably all said that at some point. I mean, it's just to go be with Jesus. And that's what he wants. But you know what he says? He says it's better for you if I stay here. So I can help you grow in your faith. So what did Paul choose? He chose to stay in the sufferings of this life for the good of his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's humility. And then if you were to skip ahead to chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, Paul speaks of running and laboring, working hard for the spiritual benefit of the Philippian believers. And then he says this. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. That is humility. Paul was seeking to imitate the humility of Jesus. He was calling the Philippian believers to imitate the humility of Jesus. And God is calling us as believers to imitate the limitless humility of Jesus as well. What does that look like? What does limitless humility look like in everyday life for you and me? Well, maybe it looks like forgiving someone without limit who has wronged you over and over and over. Maybe it looks like speaking and acting with kindness towards a stubborn spouse. Or hard to get along with co-worker. Not just once, but speaking with that kindness over and over and over again. Maybe it looks like giving even when it hurts in order to meet the need in someone else's life. Maybe it looks like going to another place to share the gospel with people who have never heard, even though they might kill you for sharing the good news of Christ with you, but you go anyway. Maybe limitless humility looks like loving your neighbor who's continually rude to you. But for the sake of your witness as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you just keep showing kindness in the face of mistreatment. Maybe limitless humility looks like something else in your current situation in life. But church family, one thing is very clear. All followers of Jesus are called to imitate the humility of Jesus, which was a humility that went all the way to death, even death on a cross. But I, want, I have to, I can't, I, I, I just thinking about the sermon, the Lord just really places on my heart, Zach, don't close the sermon without reminding people of this very important truth. And it's that the order here matters very much. The order matters very much. Listen very closely here. Jesus did not come merely to set an example for us to follow. Jesus came to save us from our pridefully dead hearts. Jesus didn't die on the cross and then say, there you go. Now you know how you're supposed to live. He died on the cross to rescue us from our inability to live the way that he wants us to live. From our failure to do that. Imitating Jesus is not the way we gain salvation. You don't you want to go to heaven when you die? Don't try to get there by just trying to be like Jesus because we are sinners and we fail. Jesus died to rescue us from our sin. 
You want to be forgiven of your sin, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. That comes first, celebrating then what he has done for you, what you can never do for yourself. And then and only then will you be able to, out of a heart of celebrating what Christ has done for you, will you be able to live a life imitating the humility of Jesus Christ. Missionary Andrew Murray said it this way, very short and sweet, and I love it. He said his humility, talking about Jesus, his humility is our salvation. His salvation is our humility. In other words, the only way we can be saved is through the humility of Jesus, and the only way we can be humble is through the salvation Jesus' humility provided for us. As Jesus himself said, apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And that includes live a life of humility. It's in Christ and through Christ alone. And so church, our call today is to look to the cross. Look to the cross. Celebrate the humility of Jesus displayed through his crucifixion. Imitate then the humility of Jesus displayed through his limitless humility there on the cross. This Christmas and beyond, church family, may we be humble like Jesus who submitted himself to his Father's will in life and in death. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. May we be doers and not hearers only. Right now in this moment, Lord, please humble us. Father, if there's someone who needs to be humbled to the point of declaring, I can't save myself, God, I need Jesus to do it, I pray that they would in a humility that comes from your grace flowing into them, they would cry out to Jesus for salvation. God, for those of us who have been saved, God, search our hearts. See if there be any prideful way in us. God, get it out of us by your grace through the power of your Spirit. No matter how much it hurts, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to ask for forgiveness. God, and help us to Humbly cry out to you for help in living a life of humility. Not a humility with limits, but a limitless humility, just like our Savior. Lord, may we humbly worship you together. Lord, as we sing songs in just a moment, may they be sung from hearts celebrating what Jesus has done. And as we sing, as we worship, may it lead us to imitate what Christ has done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.